0: Sleep's got its fingers and everything in our lives. It makes perfect sense to connect sleep and sports or sleep and performance or sleep and recovery. The growth in sleep and sports performance has just transformed kind of sports science at the moment. You know, a lot of people make comments, oh, it's not rocket science. Yeah, yeah, I could have told you that. But actually the problem was that the men were falling asleep and the women weren't. And I thought the orgasm might be a bit of a a key here. And and the first study that we did Looking at that was actually, yeah, when there was an orgasm involved, it was an equaliser associated with sleep as well.
1: When you're passionate about being the best you can be, every facet of life becomes an opportunity for improvement. And let's face it, some areas are easier to improve than others. Let's take an athlete striving for peak performance. They're used to hearing run faster or jump higher or train harder. But what about sleep better? It takes cutting edge research to prove that better sleep can actually improve sporting outcomes and probably a few life outcomes too. And it takes extremely brave researchers to get that message heard in our society that's hardwired to resist sleep. I'm Mary Bolling, and this is Impact, CQ University's research podcast. And this series, we're starting at the start with CQ University research higher degrees that ask the first key questions, start big careers, and put the pieces together to help us all perform better. Across these episodes, we'll be hearing from some of CQU's high-powered and high-achieving research alumni, exploring how they use their research degrees to create big impact. They're just a few of more than one thousand successful research higher degree graduates at CQ University, and today it's Dr. Michele Lestella at Appleton Institute. That's CQ University's multidisciplinary research institute with a focus on health and well-being at work, rest, and play. He's sharing why performing better in elite sports and in research needs to start in bed. This episode of Impact is recorded and produced on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Melbourne and the traditional lands of the Kaurna people of the Adelaide Plains. Sikh University pays respects to Elders past and present and recognises Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander traditions of research and storytelling. Hi everyone,
0: uh, I'm Michele, I'm based at the Upton Institute in Adelaide. I teach various units within the psychology unit, but also I specialise in sleep-wake behaviour, in particular with elite athletes, but I do dabble in other areas as well.
1: Okay, I'm keen to get more into that dabbling as we progress the interview, (laughs) McAwee, but you started at CQU as a research student, uh, but researching um, the impact of stresses on sleep for elite athletes. So, which came first for you? Interest in elite athletes or the passion for sleep?
0: I think the research in elite athletes probably came first. But if you think about sleep, I think sleep's got its fingers in everything in our lives. So, it makes perfect sense to connect sleep and sports, or sleep and performance, or sleep and recovery and there's one question we always ask is which one is it the the stress or the sleep or the sleep and the stress so that's something that we still are not overly clear about but that's that's essentially how i got started obviously i love elite sport i love elite performance and sleep was an avenue to to get into that and since we started i think the growth in in sleep and sports performance has just transformed kind of sports science at the moment so It really is a buzzword within the realm of elite sports.
1: That's really good to hear for all of us who, you know, might be seeking a good night's sleep as well as those elite athletes who obviously need one. Take us back then to 2012 when you were starting out on this research journey and what you were thinking about that research then before sleep for elite sport was this huge buzz. How was the sleep and the stresses? Impacting your life.
0: I've never really had any problems sleeping. Like I've always been (laughs) a good sleeper and
1: rub it in.
0: Like most of us, we enjoy. Well, most of us we enjoy we enjoy actually sleeping. So it wasn't really an issue for me in terms of the stress and the sleep. But uh, you know, as we know in our lives, is that if you're stressed or you're anxious, you're less likely to get a good night's sleep. So. I think when when I first started, I jumped onto a, a grant that uh, my supervisors had with the Australian Institute of Sport, and Australian Institute of Sport is essentially the, the pinnacle of, of elite sports in Australia. So I jumped at that opportunity and ended up completing my PhD with a big grant from Charlie Sargent and Greg Roach, and essentially we just looked at the different stresses that were impacting different sports at the AIS. So there's a number of factors like swimming and, and those sorts of triathletes where they struggle to to sleep because essentially you have to wake up early to train. And then there's other factors like the night before a major competition that we were looking at as well. And then looking at sleep deprivation versus sleep extension. So which one's better, which one's worse, and what's the impact on our recovery and our performance.
1: Sounds like there was a lot to explore there. And yeah, the as you say, the, the peak body wanted these answers. What did you find along the way that, I guess, surprised you or that you weren't expecting to?
0: I think the alarming thing with science is that we always assume that it's, it's easy to explore. So some of the things in terms of when you work with elite athletes is that it's quite difficult to explore their sleep because they're reluctant for people or researchers to, to come in and, and monitor their sleep. So if you don't have the buy-in from what I used to call the gatekeepers, so either it's a head coach or someone who has significant power over the athletes, which sounds horrible, but that's just reality, um, then it's harder to get, let's say, the buy-in from the athletes. So um the hardest thing along that journey was actually getting the buy-in from the key gatekeepers, whether it's a coach or head sports scientist. So... That was quite difficult. In terms of the research part of it, once we were rolling, I think it was really interesting because it's what you expect. If you have to get up early in the morning for school or for work, then you might be a little bit sleep deprived. The same thing with athletes who are training at 6am and having to complete multiple sessions per day. I think it was not really a surprise to us, but the fact that it wasn't really explored prior to us you know investigating it then i think that was one of the most alarming things to me and and yeah i think the level of of sleep deprivation that athletes experience probably was more like anecdotal evidence like they would say they don't get enough sleep but no one ever explored it so we were part of one of the first groups to start to explore across i think it was 12 different sports how much sleep those athletes were getting, were able to identify which sports in particular were getting less than than others. So I think that was quite interesting too. It does depend on the sport and the timing of training and things like that.
1: Okay, so...
0: There's a lot there, sorry. You've
1: packed <laughs> so much into that one PhD and you finally got to the end of it at 2015. Um, in 2015, what, what's the lie of the land like For you at that point, having come in with this passion for elite sport, what choices were you making and um, how did researching sleep win the day?
0: I think it's quite difficult when you're people. It's it's interesting (laughs) now I think a PhD is easy, right, because you only have one or two projects to manage instead of 15. But at the time, leaving once I had submitted the the thesis, then I had to actually look at what's next. So I definitely wanted to stay in the whole sleep realm and sleep in athletes because that's what I dedicated the last four or five years to, um, which I've dedicated now the last 10 to 12 years. So I definitely wanted to stay in that, but it was also – a challenge in regards to you know winning grants, working out where I would work, and those sorts of things. So I spent twelve months basically hopping between different institutions in terms of tutoring and marking and unit coordinating and things like that. And I actually didn't get a few jobs at CQ initially with um, in terms of RA jobs and and course coordinator jobs. But essentially, uh, after I had applied for one, I think it was with uh, Matt Rockloff and. Um, We interviewed and I didn't get the job, but I just had such a good experience with him with the interview that I think it was a positive one. And soon after, I had been approached from from the uni to come on board as part of the psych department. So I'm very thankful to him uh, after that meeting. And it was kind of like a failure, but it wasn't at the same time. So it was quite a difficult 12 months after that PhD.
1: Yeah, interesting to hear you kind of explain that period where you think, Okay, you've finally done, and you know, the path becomes clear. But to continue to have to find your own path post PhD, like what was motivating you through that, and how much of it was I need to be doing more sleep research?
0: I think if anyone knows me, they know I'm not short of motivation. It's quite easy to motivate me. I think if my advice to any RHD students listening in is that. You know, definitely the last six to twelve months of your PhD, you need to be thinking about what's next. So you can't just have tunnel vision and, and finish your thesis. That's fine, but you need to have a plan as to, you know, what's next. Um, in regards to my PhD, I always knew there was so much more to be done with sleep because even though we did a PhD and we did three or four to five studies, there was so much more work to be done. And at that time there was a lot of interest in it. So Teams and organizations would always, you know, hit us up and ask us, you know, can you monitor our sleep? Can we do a sleep intervention? Um, what sleep hygiene can you recommend, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there was always ongoing projects, but it would be a period where you're actually just you're essentially working without actually working if that makes sense, or you're working to do the projects but not actually, I guess, getting paid at that at that time or or so you're just continuously doing it because it's a passion.
1: I wonder, like you talked about how, you know, you really wanted to get back to CQU and having done your, finished your PhD with CQU, why, what in your experience, like made you so determined to come back? I
0: think with my PhD experience with CQU was such a positive one in that there was so much support around the student in terms of, you know, IT support, statistical analysis support, Um, The environment we have at the Appleton Institute was a high-level research environment, which was only going to grow and and foster kind of an elite research experience, and that's what we have. And if anyone looks at our track record, I think you'll see that the amount of publication and grants that our institute wins is really, really competitive. So I think I really enjoyed that environment, so I wanted to make sure I was there. But at the same time, I also love teaching. So when I had first gone for one of my interviews, I actually said that I I enjoy teaching and I'd like to teach within the the psychology kind of program, which is true, and I still teach within that program today. So I was very thankful to be given that opportunity. So essentially I I love both parts of my job. I love the teaching part because you get to interact with students and you get to hit them at an individual level. But also as a a researcher, we hit, you know, people – athletes coaches support staff at a, at a global level and and that's essentially what we do we hit people at a global level so sometimes you're not at the right of the interface but you still hit people at a global level so i think being a balanced academic you get both of that you get the interaction on a daily basis and then you get i guess the the global recognition in terms of you know sleep and sports
1: It's a really good way to put it. And, you know, it's inspiring to hear you talk about striking that balance and getting what you need on both sides, I suppose. Mm -hmm. When you talk about the global level, let's dive into that because your early career research uh, then got very global very quickly with your sleep and sex project. How did that start and um, how did it unfold?
0: I think in terms of how it started was that as a sleep researcher, you get so many questions about sleep and I just got a lot of people asking me about sex and sleep and and where, why does my husband always fall asleep after we have sex and and how come I can't fall asleep?" So there was a number of people that would actually ask me that, and I was like, hmm, there's got to be something here, and why hasn't it been done? And I guess the main reason why it hadn't been done or hadn't been explored to like a a really in-depth degree was basically because it's taboo you know everyone's scared to talk about sex everyone's scared to talk about orgasms and things like that so I was like you know what let's this needs to be explored and yeah I pitched it during Drew Dawson's early career research program and yeah then I just went with it and it just took off it just took off I think it took off because it was needed and you know sometimes you know, when people ask you questions in the real world, it's re- it's, a, it's a reflection of the lack of evidence around it. So, you know, a lot of people make comments, oh, it's not rocket science. Yeah, I could have told you that. But actually the problem was that the men were falling asleep and the women weren't. And there's a discrepancy in terms of the orgasms that men experience compared to women. So basically I delved into that a little bit deeper and found that, you know, there is a difference between, you know, how long it takes a male compared to a female to orgasm and I thought the orgasm might be a bit of a a key here and, and one of the, the the first study that we did looking at that was actually yeah when there was an orgasm involved it was an equalizer so there was not that discrepancy between my husband falling asleep and me staying awake it was actually okay when I orgasm you know there is a positive experience with that associated with sleep as well so yeah that just took off viral that just went everywhere around the world and all sorts of podcasts I've done and all sorts of interviews with different media outlets in terms of you know real real random ones to real you know high quality ones like reader's digest and and all those sorts of ones as well
1: I definitely can see why there would have been such global interest in that just from a consumer just from a human point of view we all need sleep and you know it's something that affects us all uh how has that that experience of doing that research um, combined with you know taking on something taboo and also that early experience you had of getting past the gatekeepers like how has do you think that's made you quite a unique researcher in being able to get these you know quite unique projects off the ground
0: I think in terms of the my personality and and things like that I don't think I'm afraid like there's so many times where people are afraid to put forward a, a research project because they're scared of an ethics committee or they're scared it won't get off the ground. If we're scared of things, then we're never going to get anything done. So I always tell my students that, that I supervise, like, don't be afraid of putting something forward. As long as you have the the risks considered, then, you know, go for it. I always say do what interests you, you know don't don't be holding back because you think it's it's risky or it's scary or it's taboo or it's embarrassing you want to you want to go for it so i always try and encourage my students to to go for what they're interested in and since then i've had various projects with honest students and, and things like that like looking at um from things like stigmatization of pedophiles to same sex parents and and upbringing of kids and all sorts of random projects that for me it keeps me interested And that's why I love psychology, because there's so many elements to it. So I guess that's what we're there for.
1: Yeah, there's definitely big questions coming up just in that list you've rattled off. I can imagine, yeah, the challenges in tackling them to get those answers. Mm. Um, Let's bring it back to elite sports, uh, because you're still involved in sport. Aside from your research work, how... Um, as head coach of the National Training Centre for the South Australian Women's Football and also as assistant coach of Adelaide United in the W League. So how are you making that juggle work and still getting sleep?
0: Yeah, (laughs) on top of that, my wife's expecting a little baby in November.
1: (laughs) there's going to be no sleep.
0: Congratulations. I think... For me, it's—I've always been passionate about football or soccer, as some people like to refer to it. But you know, I'm—I'm I'm a person that practices what what I preach. So you know, within our psychology units and things like that, I teach health and sports psychology, for example. So a lot of the things and a lot of the principles that I live by, I actually teach and I actually coach. So if if you're aligning things that align with you, I think you're going to be consistent and when you're consistent then things are a lot easier so um but apart from that it is a passion of mine so I love it so uh, I'm just I've been involved with football all my life and I will be involved for the rest of my life if that makes sense the fact that I can use some of the skills that I've learned through CQU and, and as my research then it's it's a bonus it's actually a bonus it's a bonus for me and it's a bonus for the players that I work with so yeah it's just it's just rewarding Like. We got a lot of girls going through the national teams. Um we've got a few girls that have represented the Matildas. We've had one my captain from last year's been at the World Cup in Costa Rica for the under 20. So yeah, it's it's great.
1: You must from all your research have so much knowledge to impart both on sleep and psychology fronts to to the girls you're coaching is it hard to hold it back like what what are the key things that you're you're giving them in terms of all your research experience i think you need a balance
0: because the minute you start talking you start talking about sleep then you know girls will start you know paying you out and things like the girls i coach they know that that's what i do but it's funny because they'll pay you out but then they'll have a whisper saying oh look i need a bit of help with this i need a bit of help with that what do you think? And, and things like that. So although they'll, they'll, you know, laugh and have a joke, but when it comes down to it, they actually, you know, people do need help with their sleep, um, particularly, you know, female athletes performing at a top level.
1: So you're not only coaching these athletes, but you're a coach or a supervisor for research students too, as you've kind of touched on. What did you learn in your research higher degree that you're still holding on to and passing on to students now
0: i think the biggest thing i learned is having attention to detail and i think if you apply that into into your life then it's, it helps with everything sometimes you would just you know your supervisor will provide feedback and you're just going to skim it or you just do enough but just enough isn't isn't good enough if you want to be the best so that's one of the things that I've taken from my supervisors. They have great uh, attention to detail. And, yeah, I think that's the main thing I would I would say.
1: And you said there's still so much more in the sleep research world to, to delve into. Um, could you reflect on, you know, from when you started at Appleton, how much even that team has grown and the opportunities that are there for research students now as well?
0: Yeah, I think the the amount of projects going through the Appleton at the moment in terms of sleep lab, there is just so many different researchers conducting various studies. Um, and, you know, just off the top of my head, you've got the sleeping and sitting study that Dr. Grace Vincent um, is supervising. Then you've got Greg and Charlie, who are my supervisors, still working with the AIS to this day. We've had uh, one of our PhD students, Dean Miller, who works – you know, with CQU as well. Graduate just recently graduated, so send my congratulations to him again. But also, there's just yeah, there's just so many different kind of projects that uh, we work with all the time.
1: Uh, no shortage of topics to explore. It sounds like yeah. from those early days of your PhD, McKelly, and you know those those answers not really being there in terms of how sleep affected performance, whether it's for an elite athlete or all of us, everyday humans, what facts about sleep would you love to distill? And how important is that to you to get your findings uh, think, out to the masses?
0: I think the, the main thing I would say, and, and it's that you need to make sleep a priority. A lot of people sacrifice sleep as the first thing to account for, you know, social time, work time, training time. But I think sleep must be part of the program. And when I say that, I mean, it must be part of like an athlete's program, but also it must be part of our program as either researchers, PhD students or whatever. So the best thing about working in the sleep lab is that if someone's taking a nap during the day, no one's looking at you in a bad manner. But if you do it it in a workplace that's, I guess, foreign to sleep research, then they'll be judging you. So. I think it's it's promoting sleep as something that needs to be a priority in our society, not just in our sports, definitely.
1: And you've got this information. How passionate are you about getting it out there? Do you see that as a big part of your work?
0: I, I do, I do. I, I always try, I guess even as a, as a lecturer, I'm always trying to relate it back to sleep and how we can make it relevant. So the biggest thing teaching psychology is that, you know, one, you're trying to educate about the psychological theories, but also you're trying to educate about how students can apply it in their everyday life. And I think I always try and relate it back to sleep because it's relevant to everyone because we all sleep. So I think it's, it's and it's something that a lot of people struggle with. So finding that balance is very, very important, but I always try to relate it back to the real world.
1: Dr. Michele Lestaladere with some excellent advice that we could all take back to bed. He graduated with his CQ University PhD in 2015, and he's now accredited as a principal supervisor for research higher degrees across psychology and human movement and sports science. And you can find Michele and his fascinating research on Twitter. His handle is Psych. If you're passionate about hacking human performance, a research higher degree could be a good place to start. Visit cku.edu.au RHD to explore degree options, pathways, potential supervisors, or just to register for a free information webinar. There's more information in the show notes, and that includes links to current scholarships for RHD students too. Next up on Impact Research Podcast. There really wasn't a lot talking about legacy in terms of sport participation and sport development. I mean, the Olympics and the Cricket World Cup's are huge sport, but what does the sport itself get out of it as a result? And I mean, that's the work that we do every day at CQU with the Physical Activity Research Group, is trying to reduce the barriers for people to get involved in physical activity. That's Dr. Dania Hodgetts, who's determined to create lasting legacy through international sporting events. Make sure you're following CQ University Podcasts wherever you listen to get every episode as it's released. And check out CQ University across social media for more inspiring stories and life-changing research. Thanks for listening to Impact Research Podcast from CQ University, where research makes real impact.